0: Guys, what's going on? Uh, welcome back to the podcast. I'm not going to lie. It has been a minute. And today we've got Dr. Karen, <laughs> I'm going to say Dr. Karan because that's how your family <laughs> would say it, right? Yeah. How would your patients say
1: it? Well, listen, I think I introduced myself as, you know, I'm Karen. I'm one of the doctors here and one of the surgeons here. Yeah. But I'll say that most people in Western-speaking countries, Caucasian people, um, might not be able to pronounce those foreign sounding names yeah. and that's because you know someone who's born and brought up in the UK or the USA yeah. who is you know Caucasian mainly is born and brought up speaking English yeah. they don't speak other languages from birth they kind of learn them over time so yeah. sometimes there's certain syllables yeah. and ways that you contort your tongue it's difficult to do that uh, sound like okay. you know your name you know it's not Diran. It's diran Diran yeah, diran yeah, yeah, yeah So you know Those kind of ways You twist and turn your tongue yeah. Come from speaking Those other languages yeah, Sometimes yeah.
0: So when you were saying Caucasian For immigrants That are listening Or the
1: hood man It means The white man <laughs> 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 The white guys
0: <laughs> That's yeah. what he meant
1: You know Because I, I speak I speak Hindi Tamil And English and uh, I would say I'm like 95% fluent in German. I did that throughout. Shut up. Yeah, I lived there for a couple of months in Germany, in Munich and in Berlin uh, on an exchange. And I have did it throughout school. And I still can get in touch with my mates there. I speak to them in German. So those, between those four languages, you know, I find myself, I can like move my mouth in those ways almost. You know, wow. it helps. Guten Tag. Yeah, yeah, I must my Deutsch obey, uh, um my Sprache zu verbessern, aber yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, this isn't to you, but um, ich ficke deine Mutter. Spanns <laughs> 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 <Schwanz> kaputt. <laughs> 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 Hochensohn, Scheiße. <laughs> of, um, obviously, Turks. There's a lot of Turks in Germany. Yeah, there's yeah, like three yeah, million.
1: Yeah, there's like three million. I think it's one of the biggest uh, ethnic minorities in Germany, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, it is, it is, it is. It's, it is
0: mad. So, obviously, today, like when we were texting before, like you came in, you're like, Dirren, like, I remember last time we were together at IFS, it was like the doctors versus trainers, um, personal trainers panel. You were like looking to counsel everyone there. What's going on? We're not going to do that today. So I thought today, (laughs) let's just start off with, um, what's your view on Andrew Tate? (laughs) No, I'm joking, I'm
1: joking, I'm joking. (laughs) 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 Bro top G you know (laughs) Let's not get into that No
0: no no You know what's funny though How many people ask you that right How many people I've had so many people Ask me about this guy right
1: You know what Without going into That whole can of worms Because I'm not interested in that (laughs) Particularly you know On air But you know I will say one thing Purely from like A social media point of view I would honestly say Like He has built This crazy cult following In such a short space of time Yeah it's like he has done... He's he's rewritten the social media playbook, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many videos of him do you see online? And I would honestly... I was talking to one of my mates yesterday who's also on social media and we were saying if he wasn't deplatformed and like removed from all these platforms, yeah. you know, in five years, the way he was growing on like Twitter, Instagram, mm-hmm. uh, all these live streams, yeah. he might be up there with Mr. Beast in a few years. That yeah, you know yeah, yeah. And he's got this... I mean, anyone on social media the number one thing that they would want beyond just, you know, numbers and making money is actually building a community. And, you know, Andrew Tate, for better or for worse, he built a hardcore community. Yeah, bruv, he's built a bit of an
0: army, if I'm oh, being yeah. honest, you know. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it, is, it is kind of crazy. And listen, you can't be stupid and do that. The guy's obviously smart to, like, uh, one way or another. He's a very smart individual that's got there, however he's got there. Mm. But I think… Just like anyone else that gets that far with social media, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the back end that I think a lot of people don't see. But I guess with any level of power, like yourself and I, we have influence on people naturally. So if you're in a position like he is, you've got to be careful, I guess, with what you say, because it can impact people. And no matter how, no matter what you say, there's always going to be positives and negatives, because there's yeah. always going to be people that agree. And people that that don't agree But let's move away from that Let's move away from that Let's move away from that Quickly Because I only only brought that up Because that's that's like a hot topic That is a hot topic everyone gets nervous about
1: I mean anyone that talks about Andrew Tate Or brings him into conversation Like they do that with the point of Trying to be controversial And try to go viral You know
0: You know what Talking about that I'm someone that's done that. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've, I'm someone that's done that for like- <laughs>
1: Yeah, <I'm>, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I'm someone that's done that. Um, and I'd like to think it's for a positive impact. Um, I would say 90% of it is very positive. Mm. But what do you think about that? Like with social media, I honestly feel like it's, it's going to a negative space, man. I feel like everyone now is just posting just to be controversial. There isn't anything organic or- authentic, or people just being themselves. I actually think people no longer know how to be themselves.
1: Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, you no, know, I completely agree. I think, you know, you build this online persona when you're in front of the camera. It's like, you know, a light switch going on. The camera goes on, hit record. You become a different person in a sense. The way your tone, your accent maybe, yeah. your mannerisms. Yeah. You know, this is not how I would speak on camera. I would do it myself. I'm not saying that to everyone else. I do that as well. You yeah. probably do it to some degree as well. Um, but I think, yeah, it's it's strange because there's this new thing. Because TikTok has blown up yeah. and there's never been a platform like quite like TikTok. There was Vine, but yeah. it, it died. That was only seven seconds. TikTok has made social media even more clickbaity in a sense because you've got two or three seconds to do something outrageous to catch someone's attention. Agreed. I saw a video recently on TikTok where some guy was trying to promote his movie or something that he directed and acted in. And he was a good looking guy. So, for the first five seconds, he just did thirst traps. And so, everyone would watch, all the girls would watch. And then he was like, okay, you guys happy with that? Okay, now watch my movie. And he was talking about his movie. Because he knew yeah. if he promoted his movie from second one, it would bomb. That video wouldn't get any views. But getting the thirst trap to lure people to watching the rest, that yeah. worked. So, it kind of distorts the whole point of disseminating information these days. Because you almost feel that you've got to do a bait and switch almost, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: It's mad because you remember, like, Back in the day When I said back in the day Obviously I'm not that old I'm 30 How old are you by the way? 32 32 Okay yeah. cool So like you know Back in the day When you would find a piece of content Or mm. you would like Go on your mum and dad's computer <laughs> And the AOL sound Will come on <laughs> And yeah. then you'll search something And like you'll pay full attention Yeah And you'll really pay attention And you'll probably yeah. learn from it And it'll probably be like A long haul piece of content Or a video mm. Or music Or whatever it is right <clears throat> Now Because everything is so saturated And there's so much of it Everywhere TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube Reels, yeah. uh, YouTube uh, shortcut, well, Shorts, shorts, shorts yeah. all of that stuff. Because there's so much, I feel like we're going from real long haul content that we could pay attention to. Now our attention span is getting way worse and way worse and mm. way worse, way worse to now where if nothing is engaging within three to four seconds, which mm. I know as well, because I'm fucking scrolling past on TikTok yeah. when I don't find whatever's snappy, how, how are we supposed to learn
1: anything? You know what the mad thing is? Like I sometimes, I would like to think of myself as a man of science. yeah But sometimes I like to get just a little bit deep. And this is probably one of the most deeply philosophical things that is also rooted in neuroscience. So your reality right now is, you could say, somewhat of a hallucination from your brain. Okay. It's a projection of your brain, right? Without your brain, you don't see, hear, feel, touch. And your reality right now, you looking at me being in this studio, sitting on that sofa, it is heavily filtered. Your reality is heavily filtered. Okay. Because I would say a small percent of what your senses capture, the visuals, the sounds, the touch, that is all filtered. So you, your brain gives you just what you need to know. Your brain needs to know that you're sitting on solid ground, that you're talking to me, the lights are at you know, this intensity. There's all this other information that's discarded and dumped in your subconscious, right? If you were to be given 100% of all the information that your senses captured, you, it would be overwhelming. You'd go insane.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So
1: what happens is all that excess information that's filtered away gets dumped in your subconscious, and that's part of your gut instinct, and you, it's stored in your memory banks. Yeah. So when you're scrolling on social media everything, all that information that you're smashing towards itself is going into your subconscious. So you're constantly taking in information. So somewhere, like the Mm. example I gave of that video right now, I didn't pay attention to it really, but I was scrolling through it. But I'm still remembering it because it's just there in your memory. So everything we consume goes into us. And that's not always a good thing because that adds constant micro stresses. You're thinking you're on social media for two hours. At the end of that two hours, why do you feel bad? You've got all these micro stresses of two hours' worth of crap going into your subconscious, which leaks into your conscious.
0: Yeah, you know what's crazy? I feel like because all of that information we're constantly taking in, and just like you said, those micro stresses and all of that stuff, all those things are added. I only notice when I really pull myself away from these things. I when I'm more in nature, going for a walk first thing in the morning when there isn't much people around, or taking myself and my friends away somewhere potentially for like a mushroom trip or whatever it you is. Right? Doing what you got to do. And I've always noticed, like, when I go to, like, my dad's village, right, and I talk to older people, I'm always thinking, like, how do these people become so wise? Mm. How? They don't have much information. Yeah, How do they become so wise? And it obviously has to be something from within them or their experiences and their environment, right? And I feel like because it's so saturated now, no one is actually living their, within their own experience, do you get yeah. what I'm trying to say.
1: You made a really interesting point there. And you know, mentioned about in your dad's village in Turkey, why are these people who don't have access to information so wise? And that is where we fall down. So for example, you're doing the dishes, you're listening to a podcast, you know, you're doing something banal, something mundane. You're bored. You try to fill that boredom with something. But actually, boredom is good because it allows your brain to defocus and wonder. And that wandering of the brain. Promote creativity We're not allowing that to happen Because we always want to fill That superficial boredom With yeah. something Allow yourself to be A little bit bored
0: Yes yes You know what's funny As well <laughs> You say that And one of my friends He's a um, His name is Nas He's a neuroscientist as well And he was like Darren Our brains and I'm, This is a guy I do jiu-jitsu with Like yeah. I'm sitting with him on, on the side After we're choking each other out <laughs> <laughs> And he's like Darren Our brains Are made to be bored Yeah He's like that's when you get, like, your creative moments, like you just said. And I guess for people that's listening to this or watching this, I guess it's those moments where you're in the shower where you're not thinking about much. You're like, bing, I've got yeah. an idea for that.
1: You have your best ideas when you're doing something boring. You're driving to work. You're in the shower. You're Agreed. cooking. That is when you have your best ideas because your brain has nothing else to focus on and it's just, like, thinking about other things. And that is the, you know, how creativity is born.
0: How how, how do we pull ourselves away from that, though? Because, like, now we're so... I feel like a lot of people rely on it in the sense of even some people, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm not a very awkward person. Mm. It, it takes a lot to really get me awkward. I can probably sit in a room with a stranger and just stare at him and not say a <laughs> word. right? But I feel like most people can't. Yeah. I feel like most people can't just sit with their friends and not say anything or not do it, nothing. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. it has to be consistently filled with bullshit. Really? How do we move away from that? How do we move away from
1: that? I think it's one of the things. How to, you know, enjoy boredom is doing something that fills you with awe. And actually, that is one of the most underrated things that you can do for your brain that slows neurodegeneration, slows the decay of the brain and offsets and reduces the risk of things like Alzheimer's and other neurodegenerative conditions. It's having awe. And if you look at, you know… What do you mean by
0: that? What is that? Sorry.
1: So that is as simply as going into nature. Okay. Filling yourself with awe-inducing experiences. You know, they've done studies where they look at factors which reduce the risk of dementia and neurodegeneration. Right. There's the obvious things. Exercise is good for the brain. Improves blood flow, etc. Sleep, it clears away all the toxic proteins, etc. Having social interactions with other people that is good for the brains. Humans are social creatures. Yeah. Another thing, which is underrated but backed in science, is having that awe. And that awe can be as simple as going for a walk or a hike in nature yeah. or just doing something which just is a deeply profound experience.
0: Yeah. You know what? It's mad. I feel like humanity has come to a place where that is no longer acknowledged at all and they don't see the value in it. Okay. And I feel like that everyone's overcomplicating things because I think they think to be happy or healthy, or fit, or strong, things need to be complicated. Mm. When I think they're actually very simple, but most people, they don't like doing the boring things, or they simply can't. Their brain can't function like that. Therefore, they avoid it. And what happens when you avoid it? You you consistently seek unnecessary things. And next minute, you know, yeah. you're driving yourself mad, you're sinking yourself with alcohol, yeah. you're doing drugs nonstop, mm. and you're... Now you have anxiety. I don't know. Like, do you yeah. know what I mean. So, like, it, society's going to. I think the pendulum is like
1: it's, <laughs> it's going, swinging, the other, swinging way, the other way. And exactly what you mentioned right there, we're looking for you know something to patch up a hole, quick fixes, and that is now completely epitomised by you know supplements. For example, magnesium supplements. Yeah. there is evidence in the scientific literature that it can help you with sleep. Right? And it does. I've tried it myself and it does help me with sleep. But if you're taking magnesium supplements and hoping that's going to make you sleep better without doing the basics sleep hygiene, like not watching TV before bed, not winding down, not having a dark room or a cold environment. You, magnesium is not going to turn that around. Yeah, it's going to optimize you once you've already optimized all the other facets of good sleep. So people want that as a quick fix. Okay, take steroids to quickly build muscle. Uh, take this vitamin to you know completely compensate for my shitty diet. Yeah. No, you need to do the basics and the boring stuff.
0: Yeah, it's the same. I get the same with nutrition and fitness. You know, it's yeah. the same, and it, it's kind of sad. I honestly think I see some of these like fitness influencers making like honestly, bro some of them are making like a million a mad. month what? million a month right half a million a month honestly <laughs> it's crazy i'm
1: you're laughing cuz i'm crying inside yeah. it's mad
0: <laughs> and you know what i'm thinking why am i not making that why am i not doing that because what i'm giving people doesn't sell <laughs> yeah. as much well, the basically yeah. it's it an intangible
1: with, asset you're yeah. giving someone a change in their mindset lifestyle yeah. all these sort of things and that is priceless a community yeah
0: and it's and it, it honestly, sometimes make, makes me sad. You know, over the last like, um, over the last last year was pretty fucking crazy, like for me. And you saw IFS when I saw your IFS, we were like me and Smith were touring a lot. Yeah. Um, I did my first ever UK tour. Smith did he, we did Smith's tour, and I supported him on his tour. We had IFS, we had talks in Dubai. We did this. You looked tired, bruv. I was dead, bruv. And I'm not gonna lie. Only recently being home, I can probably say I've got regularity back in my sleep. And I feel like everything is functioning properly, including my fucking penis.
1: <laughs>
0: like, not that there was any problems before. Yeah. But like, it, it, everything, I just feel so much fucking better with <clears throat> sleep and the simple things. And I've actually been doing my best and I, I would actually recommend people to do this is to bring things back to basics. I, mm. you know, when we're traveling and stuff and all this stuff, you see it, the attention from people, yeah. the nice dinners, <clears throat> the drinks. People, attention, nice flights, this, that, mm. nice cars, nice restaurants, beach clubs. Yeah. This shit really numbs people, man. Mm. And I and I see it. And I got to like a position where I was like, what what's going on? And I was like, I need to pull back, pull things back as much as I can because like, during, you didn't start this journey remind yourself why for you that, started yeah. for that you didn't start from that you started because you want to help your family you want to support your family you want to be something out of your family mm. you know? and I've been doing things to bore myself and that has actually made me so much better Calm mentally as
1: well yeah.
0: I've been my car got stolen innit mm. <laughs> wow. bought a brand new Range Rover my car got stolen and I live in like uh, SW and I train in Hammersmith I do jujitsu in Hammersmith I've been walking to Hammersmith from my house without like headphones yeah, And just like
1: looking at the floor, bruv <laughs> That's probably quite I mean, handy To just de-stress And
0: it was so uh, I can't tell you how my mind Is so much more relaxed Just mm. by like completely not, like, not listening to music Every now and then I listen to a podcast or whatever yeah. But like blocking things out And trying to bring myself back to
1: As Real life Yes Out of the matrix Out of, <laughs> <laughs> out of yeah, the matrix, bruv It bro. is
0: And then You know what I thought, <laughs> yeah And you might agree with this And I was like Oh this is what my granddad must feel in the mountain, yeah. looking at nothing, just bored as hell, <laughs> yeah. but happy.
1: Yes, but yeah. you know, you know, you mentioned like when you're overwhelmed, you strip things back to the bare minimum. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, about your penis. Mm. Uh, we don't. I don't need to talk about your penis specifically, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, for. You know, if so someone like, is, if
0: something was wrong, brother, i would be asking. What's going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, I'll message am like, hey, big man, I've got this situation. Can you help me out with that? <laughs> yeah. It wasn't STDs, all right?
1: <laughs> it wasn't
0: anything you like know, that.
1: For example, imagine like, you know, if you're suffering from erectile dysfunction, yeah. or some sort of issue in the bedroom, yeah. There could be a number of things, both psychological and physiological. Something wrong with the actual biology itself, yeah. low testosterone. But more often than not, one of the most common causes of things like erectile dysfunction is psychological, the stress. Stress raises you know, cortisol, one of the stress hormones, which is useful in short bursts. Yeah. But when it's prolonged release, when it's constantly released and chronically released, that can have negative impacts on various things. Um, you know, if you're having poor sleep, poor sleep actually increases the amount of anti-sperm antibodies. These are antibodies Which your body produces That attack sperm And lowers your sperm count If you're not sleeping enough
0: Bruv I swear to you Since my sleep has been better After touring and everything Yeah My balls have felt bigger
1: Yeah Because you've got more testosterone I swear to God bruv Yeah I swear down one day yeah. You know your coin purse is yeah. full <laughs> One
0: day I was like Wrong mm. And then I grabbed And I was like Oh they're back yeah. They're back <laughs> They're back <laughs> Because my sleep mm. was So bad mate One week on, in Australia, from London to Australia, in ten days, did over seventy hours of flying. That's mad, bro. We did like I was in like six or seven different time zones.
1: Yeah, no matter how good your sleep is, you can't overcome that. You can't.
0: And I was like, "What's going on?" And mate, my head space wasn't mm. like I'm okay, but I was I wasn't my usual self. Yeah, and I was like, "What's happening?" And sleep is one hundred percent.
1: Bro, if you're like just a week of poor sleep where you're sleeping maybe less than five hours a night can actually cause testicular atrophy. Your testicles will actually shrink in size, which also means less testosterone production, poorer quality sperm, all those kind of things. So I'm not surprised your balls grew once your sleep got better. Bro, legit. (laughs)
0: Clip that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Viral Clip Viral. <laughs> Viral. that <laughs> <laughs> Every man now With like a, a Dick problem Is sleeping yeah. all day <laughs>
1: Sleep Sleep and stress yeah, right? yeah, Both underrated components And it's a vicious cycle You're yeah. stressed You don't sleep well You don't yeah. sleep well You're more stressed And it's hard to break yourself out of that So yeah. Stripping it down To the bare basics Okay yeah. Make sure that I'm eating enough fibre yeah. Make sure You know My toilet routine is good Yeah Basics bro You don't need to be Okay I need to read Three books this week Or I need to do this 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 Productivity Can be toxic it's even called toxic productivity Where you're constantly comparing yourself Okay I need to read a book a week I need to w- listen to this podcast I need to listen to Andrew Huberman And follow all of his tips oh, bro. Just bro, you know it down to the basis. I'm going to
0: say this now Yeah, I'm probably going to get some hate for it But I don't give a fuck Obviously for what you do You had to read a certain mm. amount of books mm. right? You had to study a certain amount
1: Yeah I didn't like it I had to do it Okay you had yeah. to do
0: it right I'm so sick of this reading culture At the minute mm. Where I'm like Yeah I'm reading free books at the moment I'm like Why don't you read one and actually apply what the fuck you're reading instead of reading a hundred things and don't actually take action on anything? Oh, I remember this book said, on this book, someone quoted that blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what do you think about the actual situation? I'm not saying don't read. This isn't my excuse of not reading. I'm not a great reader anyway. Mm. But I personally learned so much more when I'm talking yeah. to say that like someone like yourself, I'll take away more from this podcast for I'll learn off you than I probably would to go off and read for a week if yeah. I'm being honest. But what I'm saying is, I feel like even that pressure that you mentioned, people go into this phase of like, they consistently need to improve because they think by looking at the people on social media that are so fucking productive, waking up with their ready prep meal and they're doing their reels where they mm. split the fucking egg into a walk <laughs> and then back in, hey, I was so productive. I read a book. I trained this morning. I meditated for 15 fucking minutes. Everyone's like, that's you, breath, <laughs> But like, and now everyone feels that fucking pressure and nothing actually comes out of it, right? Yeah, it's yeah, just yeah, like, yeah pressure for no reason instead of like living in in that moment I guess I don't
1: know you know I agree I think you learn so much by being in the presence of someone else who has different life experiences in a lot of ways we're similar You know, we're kind of, um, you know, ethnic minorities. You know, we have cultural, traditional values which are similar between our cultures. And a lot of ways we're different in terms of our upbringing, uh, jobs we do, you know, interactions, etc. So we learn a lot. And actually, I want to say this place is in Holland. I'm not entirely sure. But there is a library where instead of checking books out, you can check people out almost. Shut Uh, up. You can go and talk to a monk. You need to take a book out about meditation. No. You can choose to like spend, you know, a certain number of minutes or hours speaking to someone and ha- enjoy and learn from their life experiences.
0: That's, that's mad. Isn't that it? is sick.
1: That you is know? wicked. Uh, I, I need to that. confirm where exactly it's from, but that, that's such a great concept.
0: Go. No, no, sorry. I, I, what I was gonna say is, and because like human interaction is getting less and less, yeah, people are like actually
1: struggling to even hold a conversation. I mean, during the pandemic. When there was persistent, you know, recurrent lockdowns, one of the main things that people lacked in their lives, apart from being outside, were the social interactions. It's okay having the social interactions on Zoom or WhatsApp or whatever, but you need that physical contact in in person contact. And the raise and the amount of, you know, stress related incidents there were and the psychological impact that pandemic had when we were away from our loved ones and friends and family was very very profound yeah. because we're human we're hu- we're humans we're social creatures we thrive on social interactions we need that burst of oxytocin that you get from being in someone's company yeah company a touch a hug
0: yeah. a kiss whatever it is our like brain
1: just lights up with all those interactions
0: 100% and i think people just need to do their best to like you know, get uncomfortable with having some conversations that you wouldn't usually ask. And Mm. I think strangers are the perfect people from this. for this, you know. Um, When we're out and about and uh, James and Lima will tell you, I'm pretty good at just approaching people and talking to them literally about anything. And I find it easier than approaching people that I know because there's zero expectations from others that don't know you. Therefore, you can say whatever the fuck you want. That person can judge you. You don't know them well enough to care. Yeah, And that has like built some mad resilience where I literally just approach any fucking person <clears throat> and talk about anything. And from that, you'll be surprised in how many good people you meet, how many cool people that can actually help you with your own journey.
1: Yeah, why not? Because it's almost like you're confessing in that church uh, little <laughs> confession box, you know, the little sin box where you can't see the person and just say, yeah, I did this, this and this. Because... You're not seeing the person, you don't know them, you don't lose anything, you're never going to see them again, so yeah. you can say anything and do anything, yeah. so you can literally get all that off your chest
0: yeah with with yourself how many how many patients would you say you probably don't know exact accurate, but like how many people that you see and the things that you help cure or identify are caused by stress, lack of sleep, and just general simple stuff that people <clears throat> should be doing that has caused potential illnesses.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to say, like you said, to put a specific number on what percentage of disease and pathology is caused by stress. Yeah, I would argue, yes, there is a significant number of things, but it's less likely to be the things I deal with. For example, you know, uh, a hernia, appendicitis, and bowel cancer, and things like that. Yeah, is not because of stress. Okay. All right, but there are things that I deal with, which can be worsened by stress. For example, if someone has an inflammatory bowel condition, right, or has irritable bowel syndrome, or has something wrong with their bowels, constipation or whatever, diarrhea, loose stool, sometimes that can be exacerbated and worsened by stress. Okay. Because we know that the mind has a very strong connection to the gut.
0: Yeah.
1: So if you're stressed, that can result in looser stool, sometimes it can result in constipation, irritable bowels, all these kind of things. Uh, So we know that there is a connection between the gut and the brain. So... You know, your mood can in some ways dictate your body because of the gut microbiome and things like that. And I would say more so the stress-driven diseases or at least diseases which are worsened by st- states of stress would be things like cardiovascular diseases, um, You know, breathing-related issues. You know, If you're stressed, your breathing rate goes up. If you're constantly stressed, your blood pressure is going to be higher, which can lead to cardiovascular disease, increase your risk of strokes and other things like that. So there's a huge amount of mental wellness which is needed for physical wellness. But it goes both ways. If your body is physically not optimized, you're not sleeping well, you're not pooing well, uh, you're not getting a wide range of nutrients in your diet, that will impact your mood, and your mood will then impact your physical health worse. So again, vicious cycle. It is a vicious cycle. And
0: like, how how do we like take action on stopping? Like, how what's the mo- what what would be the what advice would you give? Like, in the most simple way to get someone to be like address something say if i say if i, had, I don't know, ibs and i came to you yeah and you can see that it's caused by stress. What would you say to me or to someone that's having the same issue? Because it's actually very common, isn't it?
1: Very common, yeah. Irritable bowel syndrome is one of the most you know, common bowel conditions. And it is definitely a diagnosis of exclusion. If someone comes in with, you know, they're sometimes constipated, sometimes got loose stool, they get bloated, their bowels are just all over the place. I wouldn't, at first thing, you got irritable bowel. Yeah. I would make sure you got nothing else really serious. I'd make okay. sure it's not a bowel cancer. you are not got, Uh, You know, inflammatory bowel disease You've got like an inflammation of your colon or something Or anything seriously worrying that needs surgery Or some medication Once all that is ruled out And I know after tests and investigations That it's just irritable bowel syndrome I would then look at your diets and other lifestyle factors And sometimes I take longer than my colleague Who's also doing a clinic Because I've realized more and more, and especially being on social media, that's highlighted it for me, I take longer and sometimes I do overrun because I sometimes like to ask them about these other things as well. You know, when you're talking to someone with irritable bowel, it's very easy to tell them, okay, start this um, low FODMAP diet. So, you know, avoid onions and garlic and this like that, okay? Because that will trigger your symptoms. It's very easy to say, okay, that is the thing you need to do. Yeah, But actually… Let me spend an extra five minutes asking you how good is your sleep? Mm. How good is your, you know, other things going on in your life? It takes longer, but taking longer in that one instance is going to help me and help that patient long term because they're not going to keep coming back to me with the same problem. You're building rapport. You're building rapport. And when I follow them up in weeks or months, they're in a better place. And they're like, you know what? I don't want to see you again. You know, in the best intention, I feel better. I don't want to see you again. Good.
0: I guess sometimes with... uh, um. I guess maybe you'd, you'd know better with a lot of doctors maybe maybe by giving a pill to fix something they don't really dive deep like you have asking more questions to actually see the root of the problem
1: i used to be the pill pusher oh really okay. I, I still i mean listen i still give medications and prescribe medications to patients yeah. pain relief anti-sickness you know you prescribe uh, anti-inflammatory drugs whatever you they needed antibiotics yeah many of them are life-saving don't get me wrong But a lot of the medications, we have to understand that they are stopgaps. Okay. When I prescribe something to someone, it might be a stopgap or a bridge to something else. What is the end result? You know, if someone comes in with hemorrhoids, for example, and they're saying that the hemorrhoids are painful and itchy, the simple solution there is giving them some creams to stop the itching. Mm -hmm. And okay, we'll do surgery and we'll chop out your hemorrhoids. Done. But No. Hemorrhoids can still come back after surgery if you don't fix the underlying problem. You need to stop straining on the toilet. You need to increase your fiber, increase your fluid intake, both soluble and insoluble fiber. You need to actually uh, sit in a bit more of a squatting position because the Western toilet is literally a death trap for your bowels. (laughs) Right? Yeah, yeah, So all these kind of things, you need to fix the root causes of your hemorrhoids. Otherwise, you'll come back to me three months after surgery saying, I've got hemorrhoids again. You didn't do anything. Mm. So actually, like you said, prescribing pills is an essential part of being a doctor, but looking at the root causes of various problems is equally important.
0: Bruv, you must see some madness at your job. (laughs) (laughs) You must see some absolute madness. How stressful is your work? Because you're doing a lot of stuff on social media at the moment. And like, your, your content is so like, and you as a human, like, I like you You've got good energy Like you know You can usually tell When someone's Because don't get me wrong Sometimes people can be As smart as you are And be really arrogant about it And you can't even Hold a conversation with them Because you just don't like It's very easy I
1: know many of these people Many of these people are my friends and oh. many of these people have been you know growing up with me at a medical school okay. and you know they are really really smart people way way smarter than me yeah. like way better they've published more they've uh, operated more they've just experienced more and they're just better their brains are better than mine for medicine yeah but yeah often they might lack these social things and you know listen I'll tell you something right Just because you are book smart Does not make you a good doctor I would like to say Objectively From the feedback I've got over the years Every year doctors have to get revalidation And that means doing courses Getting feedback from your colleagues Nurses Junior doctors Senior doctors uh, The secretaries Everyone yeah and my feedback's always been good. like he's nice to work with, he's smart, he's good with patients, whatever. It's always been good. Um, so I like to think of myself as like a good doctor. Am I the best doctor in the world? No. Am I the worst doctor in the world? Also no. so I'm, I'm a good doctor. You're one of the most known. <laughs> well, and that's and that that says something, you know
0: that's that's got to do with like from your communication skills and the way like you do your content and the way you talk to people has made you give more impact than technically a smarter, a smarter, smarter, you know what I
1: mean? I've always said that. I think, you know, the impact I can have from one, two videos on social media can be far greater for the broader population than, you know, one three-hour clinic I have where I see 10 patients. And, you know, what, you know, you can become a good doctor from just actually experience uh, From experience Like you know The things I see on a daily basis Are sometimes horrendous And I'm so desensitized to this trauma Like for example I'll give you an example Three weeks ago yeah, In one day In the morning I was on call So like 12 hour yeah. shift yeah. We start at 8 Finish at 8, 8.30pm Maybe 9pm Just as I was walking to the handover room the um, crash bell goes off So someone's having Probably a cardiac arrest Their okay. heart stopped They're dead technically Oh snap okay. Right Run there And then we're like Pumping his chest For you know Several minutes uh, You know all, all doctors are there Loads of nurses are there And that is a stressful situation I've not even started my shift But I hear that bell So we all run there about, There's about 15 people there Doctors, nurses, physios Secretaries Like the uh, Healthcare assistants Everyone there It's a manic scene Um, The patient does um, You know Their heart restarts And they're taken To the intensive care unit And then we start The handover The first thing That someone tells me is Okay we've got A major laparotomy That you need to do First up A laparotomy Is a major surgery We basically cut someone From their like You know breastbone Down to their pubic bone Zip them open Like a suitcase Right They've got dead bowel So that's a Three hour operation We're cutting out Some dead bowel And then you know, we plumb the two ends of the bowel back together. Oh my days.
0: <laughs> <One second. laughs> and
1: so by the time all those two things have happened, it's about midday. Yeah. I've not I'm getting a bit hungry now because I've not had breakfast. Yeah. I want to have some lunch, but I can't because there's other stuff going on in the ward. I've got to finish the ward round. So about 30, 40 patients I need to see. Yep. They might have their own problems. Uh, And then, you know, I get an angry call from someone in the emergency room because one of my juniors has got into a little altercation with another uh, junior doctor. So I've got to go settle that out. That's also stressful for me because I I don't want my team getting stressed and on this and that. So constantly there's stress throughout the day. And bro, that is like maybe a chill day. I've seen some horrific stuff that I don't even know if it's safe to tell you. Really?
0: A question. When you're cutting someone up. Yeah. Do you, is your mind like, are you, do you have any hesitation? So. <clears throat> like your hand must be so steady, bruv. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> like, what? what's that feeling like of going, okay, that's some Viking shit, bruv. <laughs>
1: before, before I tell you about that, okay. I will say on the question of like, you know, steady hands. Um, I used mm-hmm. to work for a surgeon, a breast surgeon, who literally had a tremor in his hand like that. Like that. But as soon as he was like operating cutting, he was like, boom. Still, really? steady. His hand was steady. Wow. So he had an essential tremor. Okay. And patients used to genuinely get worried when they saw him. He'd be like, <laughs> okay, so we've got to remove this cancer and do this. Do this. They were worried. And some, one patient even asked me, like, should I go and see another surgeon? I was like, No, no, no. This Now's guy." That
0: building report, like, okay, so what we're we gonna do. <laughs> yeah.
1: Your skull will be like that. Yeah. No. So this guy. He was a sick surgeon. Top level breast surgeon. Yeah. Because when the, you know, lights were on, camera rolling, he was slick. Because that focus allowed the tremor to go away.
0: That's mad, isn't it?
1: Um, okay. But, you know, in terms of when I'm looking at bodies, inside bodies, yeah. I have a very unusual job compared to most jobs where I'm actually, you know, dealing with life and death on a daily basis. And I've got my hands inside and around someone's guts. Bro. Right? That's mad. Just on the face of that, that one line, that's crazy. <laughs> that is <mad. laughs> But I've been dealing with human bodies since year one of medical school. So year one of medical school… Which was… How old were you? Uh, 18 years old. Okay. Right? At the age of 18, you're introduced to cadavers. You know, dead bodies that, that are pickled in formaldehyde, preserving preservative juice. Um, and it stinks. Oh, and you're looking God. at these dead bodies. People have donated their bodies to science to medicine. You've got these anatomy lessons. We used to have like uh, one or two anatomy lessons a week. Uh, so we d- from write from year one, year two, year three, I'm doing anatomy. So I'm seeing everything. I'm we cutting open someone's abdomen. We're breaking open someone's chest. We're looking at the nerves in uh, someone's arm or in their legs or in their brain. We're looking at their brain and dissecting it. So we're doing all of that from day one, and then. The biggest shock for me is when I was a 50-year medical student, I was assisting a surgeon for, you know, like a surgery on a real patient. And I revised all the anatomy and I was like, yeah, I know everything. I know if he quizzes me, I'll know everything. As soon as he made the cut, he hit like a little blood vessel and that blood squirted into my eye. And I was like, it was a warm feeling. And I was like, all right, this is no dead body. This is real. I am now, whoa. But when I'm looking at Intestines, and I see sometimes certain ducts and blood vessels and nerves will be so close to where I'm cutting or, you know, cutting something or stitching something. I'm like, wow, a few centimetres here, a few millimetres here, that this guy could bleed out if I make an injury here. And actually, you know… You get these intrusive thoughts on a daily basis. Like you know, at the top of a cliff, you're like, "Mm, what happens if I jumped off here? Or if you're holding a knife, you're like, what happened if I just stab this? You have these intrusive thoughts, right? Of course, yeah, yeah. I have these intrusive thoughts sometimes during surgery, like, oh my God, like if I went there, like this blood vessel would just do that. Or oh my God, if I did that, this could go wrong. Like, or if that guy did this, you're I'm having these intrusive thoughts during surgery, but that actually safeguards me from doing the wrong thing. And that makes me hyper alert, hyper-vigilant hyper-focused um, and um, yeah accidentally actually one time during surgery I don't even know if I should tell you this if I'm incriminating myself I was finishing a night shift the my boss asked me oh can you just stay on a little bit and do these two appendixes can you remove these two appendixes from these two patients who've got appendicitis and because the other doctor who i who was taking over in the morning he was busy doing other stuff
0: yeah
1: I said no problem the the night shift was okay. I wasn't that tired. I was like, okay, but maybe I just need like some coffee or something. I don't really yeah, drink coffee, yeah. but let me drink some coffee. Um, one of my colleagues and I and I just finished a night shift, right? I didn't even bring my toothbrush or anything because I didn't expect to be staying on at work. Yeah, and I wanted just something to like freshen up my mouth. So I asked my junior, oh, can "I can have some chewing gum?" He gave me some chewing gum, and I was like chewing it. I had a little burning sensation in my throat, and I was like doing the operation, and suddenly out of nowhere. My eyes just like dilate. And I'm like, I see everything almost in like 4K zoom. I feel high right now. And I turned to my guy who's like holding the camera to, for the operation assisting me. I'm like, what was in those, um, that chewing gum you gave yeah. me? He was like, oh, those were nicotine chewing gums.
0: Oh my days. He Two did...
1: ten milligram nicotine chewing gums. And nicotine's a nootropic. Okay, yeah. yeah. It increases focus, alertness and all these things. Yeah. So I was like super focused And I could see everything In more clarity Than I can ever do it And I finished These two cases <laughs> Each case Took me just 15 minutes Really? Yeah I, I don't do appendixes I don't yeah, remove yeah, an appendix yeah. In 15 minutes It takes me about Maybe Quickest I've done it Is like 30 minutes Okay 45 minutes usually Right it Took me 15 minutes Because I was so Alert and focused Did you feel sick after? My heart my I could feel I had palpitations A little bit of sweating Yeah Dry yeah, yeah. burning throat And I'm like No 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 This is Dangerous man That is Under you, the influence
0: of Kind course. of And you're And how, how many days Like with your position You work with the NHS right Yeah Yeah, yeah. How, how many
1: How many days Are you like on and off How does it work Um. So yeah We work in shift patterns So okay. Every four or five weeks i have like a period of on call So it might be um. So for example This Friday, Saturday, Sunday I'm yeah. on night shifts From Friday, Saturday, Sunday Okay. And I finish Monday morning. I'll have Tuesday off and I'll be back on normal shifts. So every few weeks we'll be rotated in to do uh, day shifts or night shifts. Either weekend nights, weekday nights, weekend day shifts, weekday day shifts. It's constant, man. It feels like every time I just recover, I'm back on another encore shift. Is it hard to have a normal life? Very hard to have a more life, normal life. Over the years… Um, I've missed friends' weddings. I've missed important family events. I've even missed my own birthday when my family booked a restaurant for 7.30. All right? And I thought I'd finish because I was assisting one of my bosses. This is many years ago. Yeah, uh, I looked, and this is when I was just starting surgery. I didn't really understand how long an operation was just by the name of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like a pelvic exenteration right, yeah. for a rectal cancer recurrence. And that was the only surgery on his list. So I thought, oh, just one surgery. I'll be done by midday and I can go home early, have dinner with my parents, yeah. sick. And it was the dinner was only booked at like 7.30. So yeah. But the, as soon as I scrubbed into this surgery, my boss looked at me and was like, I hope you've had breakfast, lunch and dinner because we're going to be here all day. I'm like, what? Pelvic exenteration? Yeah. That can take like, 15 16 17 hours i was there from 8 a.m to just past midnight and i couldn't even like phone my parents to be like i'm not making it to dinner oh snap (laughs) they went to dinner they had a sick dinner without me okay Uh, i think they they celebrated for you (laughs) yeah like oh we're with you yeah is
0: there there something that you wish people understood about your job that is not like potentially said enough or People don't. I think we do take it for granted sometimes. We don't realize how much we need people like you. If I'm being honest, I don't thank you. (laughs) But like, I don't think we realize like, and I think we only realize when we're in trouble.
1: Yeah, it's it's like most things, right? You You take your health for granted until your body starts to malfunction in a certain way, and then you're like, "Yo, why are my sinuses working properly? You sinuses." Like, um, I think the thing is, right? One thing I've noted in my years of being a doctor and being a surgeon. Is that you need to respect time you know, Okay and The power of time I've seen patients come in And within 2-3 hours They're dead A few years ago I admitted a young patient she was like 25-26 Fit and healthy No other medical conditions She had an inflammation of her pancreas Pancreatitis Okay Pancreatitis has a 1% kill rate The mortality of pancreatitis is up to 1% Okay right, If it's severe Okay uh, she had like a moderate pancreatitis and she was a little bit sick. She had like tummy pain. We wanted to figure out the cause of the pancreatitis, whether it was due to alcohol excess or gallstones. And so we booked her for an ultrasound scan. Literally within like maybe the fifth or sixth hour of being her being an inpatient in the hospital, she was being brought down for the ultrasound department to get the scan. She suddenly had a cardiac arrest. What? And, you know, she eventually recovered after maybe 10 minutes of a heart stopping. She went to the intensive care unit. 24 hours later, she she was deteriorating more from a neurological point of view. Like she wasn't behaving normally and she wasn't responding normally to stimuli. They did a CT scan and basically half her brain was dead on the CT scan. That's not compatible with life. Uh, And they withdrew care. And I just remember I was in the intensive care unit about to speak to the family and I'd just spoken to the brother and the father and the brother was like crushed, and then the yeah. mother fell to the floor, screaming and That scream I can still hear it now oh, fuck, it was a yeah. guttural scream, like the most basic like human feeling, and that just saying it now gives me shivers because yeah. you know we only we take health for granted, and we act sometimes we go through life like we're immortal, we're not we're not yeah. and um, you know, I gave the example to you just when I was coming here. Say your parents are in your 60s. You see your parents maybe, you know, once or twice a year, Christmas and birthdays and whatnot. You might only have, you know, based on average life expectancy, if you're seeing them twice a year, just another maybe 40 times to see them. Imagine seeing your parents, you've got an allotment of 40 more times you can see your parents and then they're gone. You know, so don't take time for granted. Time, respect time and maximize it. Do what you want to. Do the things. Don't wait. Just act on it right now uh, I love
0: that I love that I think I, I'd do my best to live like that Yeah And I think acting on things you want to do Instead of waiting for the right time Yeah I think is I think I don't know I think it's dangerous It's a dangerous game That can end up like Really affecting your like really, That can really affect your Happiness you know
1: You know It's better to regret something that you've done wrong Than mm. regret not doing it at all mm. Yeah, you know I've done loads of things in my life that I regret. Yeah, I agree. you know, me and too. I laugh about them now. You know, it's yeah. an anecdote, but the things which my biggest regrets haunt me, and mm. I'll tell you something I've not told anyone before. Um, so I, I'm I was very close to uh, my paternal grandmother. You know, my dad's mum. Yeah every summer I used to go to India chill with her I used to play cards with her I had a great relationship with her yeah. and she used to come sometimes in summers to the UK as well yeah. and stay at our house and I, she taught me you know all these Hindi and Tamil taught me how to write uh, everything taught me like uh, prayers and everything yeah. and you know even when she was in India I'd call her every day my dad was close to her he'd call her all the time and then give me the phone like oh, do you want to talk to you know and I'd talk to her yeah. as I was in medical school I, was, I think I was a uh, fifth year medical student uh, I got busier and busier towards finals And sometimes like my dad blah. Like, oh, do you want to talk to uh, You know Aji Which is like um, yeah. You know his name And I'd be like No I'm busy or whatever uh, Because you know whatever I'll talk to her tomorrow Whatever yeah. <clears throat> And um, One day I'd done that I was like no 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 I'll talk later I'm busy I've got to do this Like yeah. coursework Or something like that The next day She was in the intensive care unit oh, In India yeah. And um, It was during my medical school finals uh, That she was dying basically and my dad flew out to, you know, be with her and like, you know, interact with her. And she was like kind of in and out of consciousness and things like that. And for me, that was the biggest thing like literally this whole week, I could have spoken to her and I said no. And I prioritized this work. And, you know, this was one of the few people in the world that I loved. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it still haunts me to this day. Like I would do anything to just get another one minute with my grandma and talk to her. Yeah. I would do anything So that That haunts me That regret Of not speaking yeah. to her Why did I do that Why did I prioritise This stupid Coursework in medical school For that um, But anyway You know I, I, was, I was crying yeah. When she passed away And my dad said Listen She knows that you loved her yeah, yeah, yeah. So don't even think once that, you know, you missed this opportunity. Like, you, you were a great grandson and yeah, she loved yeah. you, you loved her, that's it. Yeah. But that regret still is there. It, no, I, I get you. Know.
0: you. I get you. And I think we do. And also, I think like, uh, with people like yourself or myself, is um, it's almost not the last of your culture. It's just, you know, when you go yeah. back and chat to that person, it links you back to like your origin. Yeah. Right. So, like, obviously, you do that with your parents your parents are now in a Western world. Mm. So like they change. So when you go back home to where you're from, you're like, oh shit, this is maybe, maybe not so much that this is where I belong, but this is where my origin is from. I probably react to these things because of this, because of that. And when you don't spend enough time with it, it does sometimes scare me that, and I flew out to Turkey a few times recently, just for that. I was like, every time I go see my grandparents now, they're like 96 Like my grandma got, both my granddads have passed away. Uh, My grandma's at the minute, one's like 96 and the other was like 95 or something. And I'm like, every time I say bye, I'm like, I'm squeezing. I'm like, this could literally be the last time I see this person. And it is, and it is sad. And it is important that everyone, like call your mum, call your dad. I don't understand. I don't understand what, like the Western world sometimes with this sort of stuff, it goes to, you don't have to call your mum and organise fucking lunch on the 18th of fucking February at 2pm <laughs> to 3pm. Like, just go there and hang out with your fucking family. Just like. chill. <laughs> right? Just, like, hang out with your
1: family. Bro, like. I'm, I'm with my parents, like, for example, I'll just be in their house for yeah. the whole day. We might not even, like, talk. I'll just mm. be around them. Yeah. You know, I'll be working around them. I'll be making some food with my mum. I'll be, like, just watching, uh, you know, the Arsenal game with my dad. Yeah. Like that's it We're not talking about Like how do you feel You know We're not talk- We're not doing A psychoanalysis session We're just being In the presence of each other
0: I, I, You know what I think a lot of those times I think those conversations Are bullshit anyway yeah. You know when someone's like So I need to talk to you I'm like okay Cool And then they ask you something To see how you are I, I'm not saying it's bullshit mm. But When you spend enough time With people that you love Those conversations Naturally yeah. happen yeah. To you to not even get to that point do you get what I mean yeah so like you don't end up getting to the point where something needs to be addressed because you're constantly touching base mm. it's it's almost like going to the gym three days a week so you never get to a problem where you're having where you're overweight yeah because you've always kind of like addressed it you know I feel like people just like with health take things for granted so take it to a certain extent before they take action on something and again, like you said someone gets ill in the family mm. then they start paying attention to it whereas Call your mom, call your dad.
1: You know, 100%, actually, like, I was thinking about this recently. So, you know, in hospital, when we got something called a DNR form, do not resuscitate form, oh, right? Oh, okay, yeah. So, what that means is basically, if you sign that form saying that you do not want to be resuscitated, that means if you have a cardiac arrest, your heart stops, you don't want someone to do chest compressions and do CPR and bring you back okay, yeah. from the brink, right? You just want to be dead, and that's it. And that has its own dignity and whatever. Like, you feel that you're too unwell. You don't want to come back. Because, first of all, Hollywood has made all these myths that CPR is not very successful. We're talking sometimes like single digits of success. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. Okay, It's I didn't not like, like, oh, that person's dead. Boom, boom, boom. Back to life. Right? Oh, snap. It's higher in people who are fit and healthy and are young. Like, you know, a sports person who collapses on a pitch. We've seen loads of footballers over the years have that. They have immediate CPR and they're back. Christian is an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the average person in hospital who have got medical conditions, 70, 80, 90 years old, it's not a high success rate, oh, right? wow. And even if they get a pulse back and their heart restarts, that period of time where their heart was stopped, their brain was obviously starved of blood and oxygen. They could have brain damage and long-term disabilities. So, you know, we would often have these discussions with patients in hospital about do not resuscitation and et cetera. It's not doesn't mean that we're gonna stop all treatment. It just means if you die, you know, we're not gonna to try to restart your heart. And of too often, you know, we're having these discussions with patients and family once it's almost too late, once the patient is so sick. For example, like a patient is maybe deteriorating and got maybe 24, 40 hours to live. That's when we, you know, uh, call the relatives in and they have a discussion about their end of life plans and this and that. We should be thinking about death now. Let's have a good relationship with death now. Let's be open and comfortable talking about death. What do you want? When you're, uh, you know, in hospital at the age of 90 or whatever, God forbid, if that happens to you, what do you want? Do you want resuscitation? Do you want CPR? Or do you just want to go out and then live your life? We need to have those discussions now, yeah. not when you're having that issue. Agreed. And I think,
0: yeah, people just… Let's need... talk about death. Yeah, That's 100%. It. That's, you know? And you know what? I think… If someone was to ask me now, if you die tomorrow, would you be happy? Like, would you be happy with kind of what you've done? Mm. i will be like, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll be okay with it. And I think people that are scared of death are people because they haven't took action on the things that they truly love and want to do. Yeah. You know? I think that's like, so if you were to die tomorrow, would you be happy with what you've accomplished or what you've done so far?
1: Um, yeah. You know? You. I don't think I don't think I would be happy fully. Um, you know, still I think I'm still finding my way in life. But what I think interesting is like in a lot of Western cultures, and I would say most Western culture, death is lamented. What does that mean? You know, and it's something that is we cry about it, okay, and yeah. we you know it's associated with feelings of disappointment, and that is natural. But actually, there's a lot of cultures around the world and a lot of, you know, places where it's celebrated. Death is a celebration because it's like this person has lived a good life and let's celebrate it. And yearly, actually, they, I can't remember where it is. I think somewhere in um, uh, Southeast Asia um, where they actually, like, they dress up the dead (laughs) as certain things. Really? Yeah. And even, you know, in Mexico, the Day of the Dead celebrations, that's a celebration of the person's life, not a... You know, let's cry about the fact that they're mm. dead.
0: Yeah. I think I'd want that. I'd want a party.
1: Party, yeah. Yeah, I'd want a party. Do it I'd before you me. go. Like, good a you know, like a, a wake are you know. Yeah, line up a good DJ or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. But yeah. like, honestly, when I'm at that age, I'd like to think like, I've got bare grandkids or something just keeping me alive. Because I think that's what keeps people alive the longest, you know. Like, when I look at my yeah. grandparents, there's, every day there's someone visiting them. That's why they're alive. Like, yeah. A lot of old people die from loneliness,
1: bro. 100% heartbreak. Yeah. You, you can actually, um, it's called uh, Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's go. actually, you know, you can die of a broken heart. What? The amount of emotional stress that's caused by a big event, huge breakup uh, with your loved one, uh, a death in the family, a huge stressor in your life can actually break your heart in such a way that you have... Um, you know Heart issues And you can die It's quite rare But it's an actual thing Well Actually
0: You know like For example My dad always says this right My grandmother And my granddad's relationship Turkish culture uh, The man brings the bread The woman usually cooks And looks after the kids Especially mm. in those village days Do you know what I mean that's, yeah, that's, nice. that's where they were raised right My dad was like If your grandmother died first Before your granddad Your granddad wouldn't have Survived very long
1: <laughs> Yeah <laughs> like, in, in Indian culture So um, my grandfather passed away first before my grandmother. And it's almost lucky in kind of this Indian culture, in Hindu culture anyway, that the the woman would want to go very soon after the husband because she doesn't want to be without him. Okay. You know, it's It's kind of that.
0: Less purpose, less
1: fulfilling. Yeah, it's because they had this companionship. And it's like without them, they feel less whole you know and uh, yeah, like you said, loneliness is a big contributor to you know death because you know when you are at that age there's a few things which keeps you alive. this is social interactions uh, keeping your brain active yeah and if your brain is not active and you're not exercising, you don't have social interactions, you know, you have a slip, you know, you have a quicker route to passing away. It's going to increase your chance of mortality. But I keep telling my mom, I'm like, Mom, get up, go for a walk. Yeah. She'll go for a walk, come back. She's got like puzzles at home. I'm like,
0: Keep doing the puzzles, write every day, read this book. And she's doing it. And I'm like, That's what's going to keep her alive 100%. longer. And percent And it's a simple thing, but. It's that brain function that
1: keeps oh, yeah. you alive, right? And you know what? We're focused so much and all these wellness bros and podcast bros are focused <laughs> on like, um, you know, anti-aging. We need to live longer. We need to be immortal and Neuralink and Elon Musk and all of these things, right? Yeah. We need to focus not just on lifespan, Health span, you know, the quality of the life years yes. that you have, not just the quantity. Like if you told me right now, you live up to the age of 120, but you have heart disease, dementia, <laughs> multiple cancers. I'd be like, no, thanks. You give me my 70, 80 years, but I am right to the my last day on my deathbed. I'm still running around with my grandkids. That's what I want. 100%. 100%. How, how much does, from what you see? how much does
0: alcohol really like affect us? Like how much What is that like Potentially the? I've always said
1: And correct me if I'm wrong I'm like I think alcohol is the worst thing You can put in your body Alcohol There's nothing good There is nothing good about alcohol Okay From a purely biological Physiological point of view yeah. It is a toxin uh, It is a carcinogen Alcohol increases your chances of various cancers, Um, you know, hepatocellular cancer, liver cancer, for example, uh, increases the rate of liver disease. It can cause stomach irritation, increase the rate of acid reflux. At various body systems, it's not good. Um, In small amounts, your body is able to metabolize it. You know, your liver can, you know, do all the heavy lifting and secrete it. And when alcohol is broken down, it's broken down into something even more toxic, acetaldehyde, which causes all these hangover-type symptoms. But ultimately, you know, you can have one or two drinks a week and be perfectly healthy without any, with any, you know, negligible difference between you and someone who's completely teetotal. Yeah. But it's only when we go into those moderate and severe drinking levels that you see all of these real massive differences between someone who drinks and someone who doesn't. Yeah. You know, if, you know for a lot of people alcohol is almost a part of life they go out with friends they socialize they have a drink fine you do whatever you need to do but make sure every other facet in your life is optimized you know i i don't drink alcohol at all and i haven't really had a drink i would say in about 3 or 4 years yeah. pre pandemic now um and i don't need one i don't feel the need to drink and um whenever i drink you know back in the days when i used to have two or three drinks on a night out I would always have this brain fog and I'd feel sluggish. I don't need any of that. In my life. You can't afford to do that either, really. Oh, hell no. You're cutting someone open, bro. <laughs> I, I have I have been a medical student where I've gone on a night out and the next morning I'm in the anatomy lab, hung over, my head feeling heavy as hell, and I'm faced with um, you know, a dead body and a liver and this formaldehyde smell, that you know, preservation chemical, and I feel sick. Like I want to vomit inside the body. Yeah, that that would Turn you off
0: drinking anyway. Alone, That'll turn you right? off
1: drinking, and you cannot be yeah. a high-functioning healthcare professional, yeah. and you just, know having any substance abuse. Yeah, right? you can't. Because I always say
0: to someone like, "Listen, if you need to drink to have fun, or need to drink to for some sort of social interaction, I honestly think there's something wrong there. Like what, you, what people need to address. Because yeah. the more, the more, like, the more that we're going on, where everyone is constantly." trying to fill in those gaps that we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation with something and i think alcohol is such a big one that people overuse like mad there's people that i know that have a bottle of wine every evening like that's they fine. work all day and then have a bottle of wine and anyone that's listening to this and going through that i'm not judging you for it it's your life do what the hell you want but at the end of the day you can't expect anything really positive to come out of your life from that you need to take action on creating some system Or another habit Filling it up with another habit For more of a positive and a happy life Because at the end yeah. of the day it, Alcohol Majority of alcohol Tell me if I'm wrong It brings you down Right? It's a depressant
1: right? It's an absolute depressant yeah. uh, In many ways So for example A lot of people think That alcohol will help you sleep better It's you know <laughs> So in it, it's a depressant yeah. So similar to sleeping pills It literally You know Turns down the volume in your brain yeah. Um. So, and also, if you're having alcohol before bed, it can affect your REM sleep. It's yeah. like your dreaming stage where you need that REM sleep for creativity and various other things. It's useful, and you're you know missing that, so you wake up feeling not very refreshed. Yeah. You mentioned you know you know some people who drink maybe a bottle of wine a day or whatever. Yeah. I am sometimes so shocked when I hear patients say they're like, um, yeah. I, I asked them how much do you drink? they was like, oh, one or two bottles uh, a day, and I'm like, of what? Like, oh, vodka. Oof. Like what? That's actually crazy to me. Yeah, And the thing is, right, that your liver is powerful. It yeah. can take a lot of beating. But And if you chop out a big part of your liver, it can regrow. Your liver has incredible regenerative capacity. Oh, really? If someone has like 10% of their liver remaining yeah. and they get like, um, you know, liver transplant, it can grow to full size within a very short space of time, within a few months, Right. But when the liver regenerates and grows, it's not back to 100% perfect. It does it by fibrosis. So it's like kind of scarred up and not a bit knobbly and not the way it was before. Injured from battle. Kind of, yeah. So it's back and it'll help you survive, but it's not the same. It's like a veteran. It's scarred. um, And it's not going to give you the same function. So you don't abuse your liver. It's amazing. Like it allows us to function and regenerate. um, It does over 500 functions alone. Really? But don't abuse it. Okay.
0: No, I agree. I agree. I think it's, and also it's a bit of a touchy subject with a lot of people because mm. people instantly think they're being judged. And I think a lot of the time when people are like, well, hold on a second. Don't, don't judge me. Mm. It's almost like oh, being kind of defensive there because you probably agree with <laughs> what I'm saying. And I'm I'm someone that has a drink, right? You've seen me at IFS. Mm, I, was yeah, drinking, yeah. I was drunk a couple of nights, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like I didn't drink until I was 25 years old. Yeah. So I have, I've, I've got good discipline in, Mm. I don't need a drink. Yeah. Even last week, like I had, I was somewhere where there was like social interaction and I had like a beer and I literally, I didn't even have half of it and I put it down and I was like, that's not going to do anything for me tomorrow. So let me just go, you know? And I feel like, I don't know why people are chasing the night all the time. Mm. I don't know why people are chasing
1: the drink all the time. It really doesn't. And- doesn't end well. It doesn't end well. You know, how many times can you say that you didn't regret getting completely drunk at the end of the night? And, you know, the thing with um, alcohol is, you know, the one thing I wanted to say is like, you know, people always regret drinking and then they jump onto this severe, like really severe form of restriction. Like, for example, dry January, right? Restriction. Is proven, if you're really restricting something in your life, like whether it's like a keto diet, you know, where you completely cut out carbs and all joy in your life, you'll probably, research has shown that you'll bounce back even worse. Oh, my days. Thank you. You know? I did a video about that.
0: Send me that research, bruv, because people were sending me um, DMs about, no, there research shows
1: that Dry January actually helps. No. Dry January. Okay, Dry January, the premise of it and the underlying concept is good. You want to cut down yeah. whatever. yeah, but complete abstinence from something and complete restriction and avoidance of something actually encourages these kind of bad relationships with certain things. You know, like if someone is saying, okay, I'm going to go on this 500 calorie diet, they're going to bounce back a lot worse because they are demonizing things and they're going to build worse relationships with that thing. You need to fix your underlying behaviors. So instead of going from 20 units a week, go down to 10, then 5, yeah. then 1, then 0. Yeah. Go in a slow way that's sustainable. Don't just say, for this month, I'm not going to drink. And then from February, you're getting drunk every weekend again.
0: I'm so glad someone so much smarter than me has said
1: this. I told you lot. <laughs> it's, it's just habits... Willpower All of this is neuroscience Restriction is generally not good Some people will see uh, Some good things from them And in certain cases If someone is like a You know uh, Addicted to certain heavy drugs And they're at risk Of killing themselves If they didn't restrict completely In a rehabilitation setting Fine Restriction and going cold turkey Can be good but, you know, if you just want to cut down on a certain thing, yeah. restriction can be counterintuitive, neurologically speaking. So, like, what the thing, I, like, why would you also cut something
0: out that you really like? Like, you might really like it, which is fine. Yeah. Just bring it down a little bring bit. Bring it down. Bring it down. And I always, and people get praised a lot, right? You get these... Um, people that used to be alcoholics and this and that and obviously do your thing whatever and i'ma this and that and now i don't drink any alcohol and this and that and blah 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 i'm like okay great that's great i'm very happy for you i'm glad you did that i always find it a little bit weird and tell me i'm probably gonna get a lot of shit for this but like i always get a little bit i'm always like why do these people get praised so much I'm like, I understand that, like, you did something very, well. I'm very inspiring. Well done. Like, I love that. It's very good. But sometimes I think, okay, what about me? I had the fucking discipline to not even get there. <laughs> what, yeah. what, show me some respect, bro. Yeah, I mean... You know, like, I didn't need to cut out anything really in my life. I was disciplined enough. And maybe I was lucky from, like, a good upbringing, right? Mm. But I always find it weird that people sometimes, and I'm seeing this in social media and people, they almost over-exaggerate a very minor problem to be recognized that like they're going through fucking shit, whatever it is, to
1: then go, hi, guys, I've just recovered from blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like,
0: oh, my God, this is so amazing. I'm just yeah, sorry.
1: I think, you know, what you see on social media is so exaggerated and distorted sometimes that I don't even believe half the things I see. Like, some people, I'm not saying everyone, and I'm not, um, you know, belittling anyone's trauma or personal experiences, But there have been instances where people have been caught out faking trauma. There was this, um, there was this. I think uh, she got cancelled, but there was this um, mother online who was like faking crying over her like child's illness, made up an illness for all for like views and stuff on social media. And I thought that was crazy. Oh my god! Um, You know things like that, and and you know because there's this whole thing online where trauma cells You've seen those videos, right, of like uh, that nurse putting up like a recording of herself with like emotional music, text on screen where she's like, and it's like music in the background and the text says like, uh, you know, POV, you just lost a patient or something like that. You know? <laughs> oh, and it's no. like, it's her like basically like fake crying or fake emoting yeah. in front of the camera and talking about some you know, deeply horrendous experience that she may or may not have gone through. I, I just think that's so weird. How can you set up a camera and then cry? Oh,
0: bro, I, I, I like, oh, I really hold myself back from these things. Like, there's been so many occasions where I've like made a video, right? And I've sent it to like my manager. Yeah. And he's like, Darren, I wouldn't post Easy. that. Easy. <laughs> I wouldn't post that. What if that person's going through like actual mental health issues or whatever? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, part of me's like, fuck that guy. Because like yeah. he's giving this is what's wrong with the world. Like, people like that are not being caught. If you're sad, embrace the sadness, bruv. I'm all about that. You yeah. should embrace. If you're, if you're in a fucking shit, like you're in a black hole, enjoy it, bro. Mm. Take it in, accept yeah. it, and that's how you move forward. Yeah, from it, become bro. like Bane. Exactly. Yeah, bruv. Bane oh, it. Oh, I was born in <laughs> a <and> dark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like. It, I find it really weird when people do those things mm. and you're like, but wait, hold on. If you are really like that, then how would you be capable to set a camera up? Good
1: fucking lighting too. Yeah. <laughs> and picking the emotional music to back your... Yeah, yeah. Let uh, me 10 seconds.
0: Hans Zimmer from Interstellar. Go. Boom.
1: Yeah. So sick, <laughs> so sick. You know. It's the absolute. You best. just want to watch the video when that's there.
0: Yeah, I know, innit? Oh,
1: trust well, me. Well, music makes something. You know, you can just like when you're watching a movie. Like, why was Interstellar so good? Like, I love Matthew McConaughey, but that soundtrack. Oof. Did you know Hans Zimmer made that music
0: without knowing what the scenes were? Yeah But he knew
1: it was for like A sci-fi movie though They knew He knew it was like a space Time travel-ish
0: movie Yeah but um, Christopher Nolan Mm. Didn't tell him much on purpose To see what he created
1: I mean Nolan's a genius Yeah yeah And so is Hans Zimmer Yeah yeah Have you ever seen him live? No I haven't Bro I need to
0: Mad Mad I went For my birthday I got a gift from manager Where Um, was it? Royal Albert Hall? No no it was um, Um It was at the O2. Smith and uh, Luke got me uh, a box with my best friends. Oh my God. And it was unreal, bruv. It was mad.
1: I would love that. That is a concert I would love to go. The last concert I went was when I was like 13. I went to Groove Armada at the uh, Brixton Academy. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, back in the day. I hated it. Really? I remember back in the day when I was 13 years old, the highlight of that was um, the one song I knew of Groove Groove Armada, shaking That Ass, that one. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I didn't know any of their other tracks. (laughs) And... Like one row uh, just in front of me, there were like a lesbian couple making out. And when I was thirteen, I was like oh, and I told all my mates, I was like, Look. And then, you know, it was just like, you know, great for us. We oh, the <laughs> you said,
0: I Sad
1: thirteen year old <laughs> Oh my days I would have been like,
0: oh yeah. Like kissing. <laughs>
1: yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Oh, we were I was I was like I was a thirteen year old. I was horny. I was in boarding <laughs> I was in a boys' boarding school. Oh shit. You can shit. imagine the pent up feelings oh, then, bro. My days. I could tell you some stories about boarding school. Wild shit.
0: Is there a lot of bumming?
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, it's- you know, you know it's, I see what's really weird, right? Yeah. There's this weird thing that happens when, I don't know if it happens in 13-year-olds now, but when I was 13, 14 in boarding school, like there was this obsession with, like a brief obsession with like pretending to be like camp or gay sometimes, where like you'd, someone would be like uh, working on like homework or something like that, right? And you just like go up behind their chair and go like, bam! And then like walk away or something like that. And it's weird. It's like it, people did that. It must must be like a curiosity thing. I don't know. It must be. Because in, I think it's in uh, Korea. Yeah. Like school children, they have this like little game where they like, um, you know, have their fingers like that and they poke their fingers up at their friend's bums. They go, bah! and then like, it's, <laughs> I don't know the phrase, but they kind of like, got ya! And like, they do that. <laughs> but, and that's not them, you know, being homosexual, but that's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. a... Kind of like a, a friendly game. Yeah. They like stuff
0: like that in Turkey as well. Sometimes you see guys like with like their arms in each other like walking Yeah, Yeah, see around. that in India. They're holding hands and walking and whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's like they're like men. Like, you yeah, know. They're, like, just, they're just friends. You're like, what's going on? This yeah. doesn't mean... Really, but maybe they're just really comfortable with their sexuality. Very comfortable, yeah. You know, it could be that. Um,
1: There's this thing in Turkey actually. I don't know if you know it. Um, it's called... Uh, or maybe Yeah, I think it's in Iran as well. But I think it happens in Turkey. It's called like uh, Takandan. So down, where that? basically they crack their penis How? Penis cracking
0: How do they crack it?
1: Um, so, you know, in your penis You've got like these two cylinders Called the um, uh, corpora cavernosum And they're surrounded by like a Fibrous sheath called the tunica albuginea yeah. And the fibrous sheath They crack it So it tears slightly And that's also what happens When you have a penile fracture Question Yeah Is
0: that similar to The flesh you have in your ear Or no? Because I can click my ear And it might sound like that No Wait hold on Let's try it Wait wait wait, wait.
1: That's cartilage Did you hear that? Similar Similar oh, I did hear course, that that was, that was loud
0: That was loud didn't it? Yeah You know why my older cousin Used to grab me start like come here I
1: said, ah! said Oh that
0: feels nice
1: <laughs> But no this is like Just like cracking your knuckles They crack their penis and that's actually dangerous because it causes tears in the tunica albuginea, a little bit of bleeding, and it can result in erectile dysfunction. That's tuna, the kind of thing they do. know what? Tunica albuginea.
0: That is mad.
1: Is there anything else you can tell me about the penis? About the penis? Let's um, uh, tell you. Well, apparently, back in the day, the hypothesis as to why penis is a, like the tip is mushroom-shaped is so it can like scoop out the sperm uh, of competitor's From the uh, female vagina In fact Some animals still have Like a barbed penis So they can scoop out Like any competition sperm Shut up Yeah
0: Back in the day like Because
1: humans were not Monogamous creatures So there'd be You know Multiple matings With different people Because in villages
0: They will just all Look look after all the kids Right? Yeah That's a Like the men would go hunt Or whatever And no one would know whose kid is who,
1: right? Monogamy is like a newer... Well, I say newer, but yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. it's not like a... I'm not saying it's invented 10 years ago, 20 years ago, but, yeah. you know, we're talking tens of thousands of years ago. I'm not sure monogamy was what we think of it now.
0: Yeah, oh no, it's, things are things are definitely changing. And I think also it's a, it's, a, it's a hard conversation to have with a lot of people, you know, because a lot of people don't want to give their true opinion on it. And I think, yeah, because it might hurt their partners, isn't it? <laughs> like, it's a, it's a tough conversation, you know? If you think about back in the day, would it have mattered or not compared to things now,
1: you know? Yeah. I mean, listen, no one wants to believe that they're not the most important thing in your life. That's a hard feeling to accept with someone that, yeah. you know, I want to have multiple relationships. And, it, you know, mm. it's a taboo thing. It's frowned upon now. Um, But, you know, you can argue, in some senses, it's against Biology, or mm. at least your psychology, human psychology, yeah. this archaic psychology from our ancestors, it's against that biology. Yeah. But you know, nowadays, we form companionships and yeah. we want to be with that one person. So we've yeah. we've evolved in a different way. Psychologically and mentally, we've evolved to accept monogamy. Yeah. Uh, and that is, in some cases, very good. It fosters that community. You can have children with that person. It's that yeah. security and long-term companionship. For family, I think it's definitely important. Yeah. But the mad thing is, like,
0: also... Back in the day, there was none of this bullshit dating, innit? It was just that like, bada boom, next one, do the thing in the Closest village.
1: person next to me. Okay, in my village, I've only got three females. Only one is my age.
0: Yeah. That's my wife. Every man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so whereas like, now it's just like, yeah, let's go to dinner. Let's go to this. Three dates in. Should I make the move?
1: Yeah, it's you very know? long
0: and drawn out. You know, yeah. the whole I'm, dating thing.
1: Yeah, it's a bit long. I'm not
0: going to lie. I always went in for the first date, bro. Yeah? Uh, yeah, always. Why, Why waste time?
1: What was your success rate with that?
0: 100 <laughs> <laughs> uh, Success trait was pretty, pretty good man I did I've, I've done well <laughs> yeah. I've done well Um, But yeah I think You um, just gotta go for it When you like someone When you're attracted to someone yeah, You just gotta facts. go for it that, you know that, mean? Like,
1: People like confidence as well
0: Yeah yeah, just, yeah. Oh, some, It might blow out sometimes Where it doesn't work But that's mm. It's mad It's almost like See, in jiu-jitsu, right, mm. you shouldn't really go for a submission if you're 100% got it. Like, if you 100% know you're not getting it, like, if you're, gonna, if you're 100% sure that you're getting that submission, yeah. then you go for it. Okay. If you're not 100% sure, you don't go for it. So mm. I had that mentality with girls. <laughs> so you are 100% sure. If I'm 100% sure, go you kill. go for the kill. <laughs> got them in the crosshairs, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. pull it. Yeah. But um, what's your take on,
1: like, holistic stuff, healing? Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a culture yeah. where the natural stuff, and that alternative medicine is a huge part of the whole culture and mindset. Like in India, um, Ayurvedic medicine is huge. And Ayurvedic medicine is one of the most ancient forms of traditional medicine. And when I tell you this, you might be shocked. Like the first nose job wasn't done 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, or even 200 years ago. It was invented by an ancient Indian practitioner Called Shushruta Right Who invented like um, Nose jobs Rhinoplasty Because back in the days In India If someone committed a crime Their nose would be cut off Right as, like, a, okay, that person, we know why his nose comes up because he's a criminal or whatever. So often he would use these people as almost guinea pigs and he would reconstruct their or give them a new nose by taking a flap of skin from their forehead and flipping it down to like reconstruct a new nose. Oh, and that God. was the first basis of the rhinoplasty, the nose job. And Ayurvedic medicine is a lot of the basis of what we see now. For example, those old uh, gurus and saints used to meditate. Uh, almost naked with maybe just like a little, uh, you know, towel wrapped around their waist on the foothills of the Himalaya. Cold exposure. That was done back then. You know, a lot of hallucinogenic agents, psilocybin, all these kind of things, a lot of stuff was done back then. And it's become more fashionable and popularized now by, you know, Wim Hof or whatever. Yeah. So I come from that sort of culture where I do like some of that superstition, some of that, alternative medicines yeah. but I'm also a realist in that I know that certain things require certain specific science-backed things if you've got bowel cancer you need to have surgery chemotherapy radiotherapy whatever Yeah, and this is where things can go wrong I'm all for these um, you know Tradition, non-traditional things to help with healing. I'm not talking crystals and things like that, but I'm yeah. talking like meditation and, yes. you know, other sort of things like yoga and all these things. I believe that there is a role for them in addition to the traditional stuff. Like, for example, Steve Jobs yeah. had um, this rare form of pancreatic cancer that was actually curable. You could have surgery to remove it. But he didn't want surgery. He refused surgery initially and he went on all sorts of crazy juice diets and all these you know hippie trippy kind of things and because he rejected traditional treatment for so long I think several months to a year had gone by his cancer had progressed Mm -hmm. to the point where actually then he realized he wasn't getting better and the cancer was spreading to his liver and all sorts of things he then wanted the traditional treatment the surgery but it was too late it was inoperable and sadly he passed away Mm -hmm. so Choosing to go down that non-traditional route and delaying traditional treatments can be dangerous. But if you use the, you know, the holistic things in addition to the traditional things, I think there is a good role for that.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that as well, actually. Um, but I think the only way yeah, you can go like non-traditional way of sorting things out is if you've got a non-traditional way of living, I think. Mm-hmm. So like, if you're living in this world, then certain things are kind of made to adapt to fix those scenarios. So if you were someone, I guess, again, I keep referring to my dad's like village and stuff is because that's probably been every time I've gone there when I was younger is how I saw people, like raw people, like I saw men, women, Mm. children, animals, mountains and all of that. I felt like that sort of stuff worked there because they couldn't really travel to the towns to go see doctors and whatnot. So they kind of had to deal with what they have. But their life was also very different. But if you're in the Western world and you're living like that it's very hard to be very holistic, I guess. I mean, we're going from headphones, mics, cars, to, I don't know, using electronics, lights, whatever it is, to completely trying to now become like real holistic with everything and think you're going to fix it like that. Yeah, It's a hard one, isn't it? It's not going to really...
1: I mean, bro, you look at some of these uh, countries around the world. I mean, there's been lots of studies done on these blue zones you know, certain places around the world, these hot spots in the world where there's certain populations of people who live long lives and often good quality lives without, mm. you know, significant disease or, yeah. you know, death. And for example, uh, an island off Greece, Ikaria, yeah.
0: has
1: a high percentage of people living into their 90s and, you know, sometimes beyond 100. And, you know, on that island it's kind of cut off from the mainland. So uh, there's not a lot of modern technology there. They're walking around. There's sheep there. You know, a lot of them are farmers. Yeah. Uh, the lifestyles they're having, the food they're eating is, uh, you know, whole foods. It's not processed you know, cheeses, fibres, all sorts of things. And so, if you look at their lives, what are the things that they're having? They're having lots of social interactions. They have big family dinners all the time. They're walking a lot. So they're getting a lot of exercise. Yeah. Uh, from a mental health point of view and emotional point of view, it's nicely regulated because they don't have these stresses of modern life: parking, traffic, <laughs> bosses, emails, all that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, and they're getting lots of fibre, lots of sunshine. They're sleeping well, probably because they don't have all these other distracting features like yeah. night. Lights and Netflix And all these kind of things yep. So all of these basics Is just beautifully optimized for them And they You know Live longer It's not a secret um, So we can't do that In our modern lives We can't turn London Into a Greek island No you can't. So you know you can't. We're, It's like chalk and cheese We can't do that yeah. But we can only try to <clears throat> Optimize certain things To live longer I
0: guess when you go to those countries um, Greece, Turkey, Mediterranean You can really see why people live longer Yeah Like you can see It's there's a reason you... You're, like, your face... I don't know... Have You've never travelled, have you? Like, travelled, travelled?
1: Uh, not, like, solo travelling around the world. Like,
0: no. on your own, just no. take off for three, four months. No, I'm telling you now, bro. Your face literally changes. <laughs> what I mean by that is... You see people... Especially people that are in very stressed jobs and whatnot. They just take off. And they completely relax. And I swear to God, you see it in pictures. Where not only the colour of their face from their tan or whatever their face is just more relaxed.
1: Mm, The muscles, everything. The muscles
0: are relaxed. You look into their eyes, you see more depth. You see more like, oh, wow. And I think that's why when people travel and they come back almost more hipster-ish. Yeah. And like, I'm not going back to that corporate job or whatever, because I think you actually realize what life should be instead of, I guess, being in that rat race that, I guess we're in it. Like, we're in it, you know? But I think we're lucky. Well, I think I'm more lucky than you in a sense of freedom where I can just oh, take off. Um,
1: that is you... something I'm jealous of, for sure.
0: Is that something you want?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, listen, I mean, I knew what I was getting into when I signed yeah. up to this job. On day one, I knew that there'd be loads of sacrifices I need to make, um, not just for my social life, but also physical and mental health. I knew there were certain sacrifices I need to make. But this is the job I wanted to do. But now that I've been in the NHS and I've been a doctor for you know, almost 10 years now, Yeah, I kind of feel that I want to do something else maybe in a few years' time. I want to travel. Between finishing my medical school finals and then becoming a doctor, I had like two and a half months off. And one of those months, I spent traveling around Thailand with one of my friends nice. and some people from medical school. And that was one of the most gratifying experiences I've had in my life, I would say. Yeah, I started off being like a classic tourist Week two, I was shopping and eating all my meals at the Tesco Lotus and 7-Eleven. You know, and I was like, I picked up a few Thai words uh, and I was just like traveling here and there. Almost, I felt like a local. And I loved that kind of slow pace of life and just, yeah. it was different, you know. And that made me think, yeah, I do aspire to this freedom one day. Not just financial freedom, because yeah, yeah. to do that, you need a certain need, degree yeah, of financial of course, freedom. Of course. But just freedom of modern life almost.
0: Mate, I think I'm actually mad excited for you for when you do get that because um, someone as smart as you, I think there'll be so many things that you will unlock in your mind even more than you already have that will blow your fucking mind away. You know, you get these moments when you're away, when you're sitting on your own or with a friend and you're having like, you get into conversations, conversations that you probably wouldn't or have time to get into in where we are today. And you realize what I think what's really important instead of what you think it is. And I think it's important for everyone to escape more and build a life where they have the luxury to escape more, to touch base with that, to really see what's important Mm -hmm. instead of keep chasing. And me personally, I'm doing my best right now to kind of stop chasing a little bit more and just enjoy like the present more Mm -hmm. and more instead of, because I in my head, I've always been until this point, I'm always like, What's next? What are we going to do next? I need to do this. I need to do that. In my head now, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to enjoy what's been happening. Even me, myself, obviously nowhere like you as a doctor, I haven't really ever stopped since I started working in JD sports at like 16, 17 mm. years old. i have always chasing. I need something. I need to be able to buy a car. I need to be able to live somewhere nice. The I next, wanna, yeah. I want want to. business. I want to sit on a business class seat. I want to do this. I want to do that. And then you realize like, oh, shit. You don't we don't need much at all. <laughs> we don't need much don't at all. You don't need much. We don't need much, you know. But I think it takes those moments to realise.
1: Yeah. You know? you know? You spoke about kind of unlocking that brain and uh, my mate won't mind me saying his name. He's actually a, a. he's I went to boarding school with him, one of my closest mates, he's a Turkish guy called Akai.
0: Akai, so yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and he he now lives in uh, LA and um, he's married and he's in the kind of crypto world and he's okay. doing well for himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I went out and saw him when I was in LA, you know, back in 2021. Yeah. And we caught up after a couple of years of not seeing each other. And it was just back to old times, like we were in boarding school again. And we were talking about all sorts of things. And uh, we got onto the subject of like psychedelics and, mm. you know, and tripping and all these kind of things. And I was just telling him about some of the science of like psilocybin, LSD, and how it's becoming less taboo. And there's more and more clinical research showing that how these psychedelics and hallucinogenic agents can actually help with mental health conditions and things like that. Yep. And there is more and more research showing that, you know. for example, there was a recent study published in the New England Journal of Medicine, one of the best scientific journals, a trial looking at psilocybin, the same uh, chemical found in magic mushrooms, how it can actually lower rates of depression um, and depressive thoughts. And uh, it's used for ketamine, <coughs> ketamine and PTSD, all sorts. Yep. So we're talking about that. And then when I went back to the UK, he then called me one day out of the blue. And he was like, I was on call and he's like, have you got a moment to talk? And I'll like, say, yeah. And he was like, I've just had a life-changing experience. <laughs> I've had a life-changing experience. And I was like, well, what have you done? And then he said he'd bought some LSD. All right. And just to confirm, I'm not condoning the use of any drugs or anything yeah, yeah, like that yeah, at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, you know, I can also you...
0: confirm. I have asked him. Yeah. He's never, ever done anything. I've never no done interest. any drugs,
1: uh, <laughs> but this is just purely an, uh, an anecdote from my life. Just want to make that clear so I don't yeah, get cancelled yeah. or lose my license. NHS, if you're NHS. listening,
0: I can clarify that. <laughs> right.
1: So he told me he would bought some LSD, some tabs, and he'd yeah, taken yeah. them. And this is a point in life where there's a lot of things going wrong in his life. You know, he just had some shoulder surgery. He was used to going to the gym and lifting heavy weights. He couldn't because he had this injury. He was recovering from that. Um, you know, he was... Um, You know, things going on in his life With his family He had some disagreements With some family members That he needed to resolve He took some LSD And he said He just went on this crazy Six to eight hour trip Mm. Where he had processed All of these things going on in his life He had reached out to that family member He was having some arguments with Sorted it out He had unlocked this creativity in his brain To help him in his business And everything It just made him so relaxed And he felt he had a new lease of life and i understand that because when we spoke when i spoke to him earlier i was talking about what are the potential kind of neuroprotective benefits on a neurological basis of these hallucinogenic agents and you know in certain ways it can boost the number of synapses the connections between neurons yeah. it can allow you to take you know new roots in your brain it unlocks new networks and new paths that your thoughts and ideas can take so unlocks new ideas for you and you know on the basis of some of the discussions we had he tried this and honestly i felt jealous of listening to that (laughs) i was like wow i i would love to have some sort of profound experience like that in my life
0: it's it's a good time (laughs) (laughs) it's a good time bruv i'm not gonna lie um Last time I had a bit of a trip, I was in Australia, I was uh, we went camping with some friends and uh, we're out in the nature for two days, no phones, no nothing, no connection, we're in between the Blue Mountains, we're in the Blue Mountains and we're in nature and uh, no phones, no electronics, we just had fire, meat, vegetables <laughs> and we were just like there was axes we were chopping up wood we were like making fire all this stuff right oh, my testosterone definitely went up that day bruv and um it was buff, it was just like oh my days this is what this is what it must have been like back in i don't know when where this was just it and we were just having like just conversations and even things like oh when do we go to bed when do we wake up we're just like oh you go to bed when it's dark you wake up when it's light. Yeah. You're <laughs> you know? in, in sync with nature. Yeah, and things just became more simple. And I was just like, oh my God, what a stress-free environment. Like, if I was to stay here and had like my favorite people in the world and do things that I love, like you wouldn't need or seek anything else. you want, you know? so you need. And I think it's why, it's why it's also important to pull yourself away from like environments that constantly make you think that you have to be a certain way. Mm. You know what I mean? And what that does is, from my experience of like psilocybin, it really like chopped away my ego quite a bit, made me a bit more vulnerable and helped me realize and helped me focus on what's actually important at times. Like It's almost like a recharge. Yeah. And then, well, when I first did it, I first did it in 2021. And uh, after that, I've been meditating since. Never meditated before. I didn't know where I could get to with meditation, and when I did mushrooms, I was like, "Oh wow! Oh okay, this is where I can get to." So when I'm even like when I'm sitting somewhere, even in the Uber, I just shut my eye, just chill, bro. I'm just like, I try to get places with my mind, and since then, I've been focusing on health of my mind more than my body, mm. and I've just noticed like the connection between both is. It's been w- way better.
1: Yeah, 100%. Way better. I way mean, better. arguably more important than physical health in some capacity. Yeah. Um, you know, I, th- I think it's very easy to, you know, shun all this newer research coming out. But yeah. I will say it is still, you know, a lot of it is in the research stage. Yeah. So, you know, someone can't just go out there, get some ketamine, no. get some, um, you know, psilocybin mushrooms yeah, yeah, yeah. and then have yeah. an amazing trip. And then expect to have some profound changes in their brain because there's lots of side effects with everything. We know that. So I think the advantage of all this research is it's becoming increasingly accepted Mm. and normalized in mainstream science, which means that the more scientific research we have on it, the more we can identify what works What dosage do you need? What is the delivery agent? Is Is it it safe? Is it safe? Is it best inhaled or ingested or whatever? And who is it more beneficial for? What conditions? And what is the long-term follow-up? Yeah, You can, you know, listen, you can watch a Netflix documentary telling you about the powers of psychedelics and mushrooms and this, but that is not just... You know, you can't just watch a Netflix no. and then become an expert on fungi.
0: That and also like some people's lives are probably not equipped for it. Like as in, I don't yeah. think it's good for, I don't think it's great for everyone. I think you need to be in a certain maturity to be able to understand certain things, you know, to like actually take it at the right time. Not like taking it on your way to a festival, listen to music. Oh like, no. It's nothing it's like completely that. completely the it's wrong com- thing you need to it's do. It's completely the wrong thing you need to do. And I think it just depends. And also Expectations. When you're doing something like that, just or with anything, I think people just need to really lower their expectations with any dr- that drastic changes. You just need to do stuff, take action on things, but really not expect much. You'd be less disappointed and you'll be yeah. surprised on what you can find out by going into the unknown. You know, it's like, it's a magical place to be. And it is, it, it's,
1: it's a good time, bro. <laughs> I, you, know, you know what I <laughs> it's would a say? Good time, bro. <laughs> it's like, for example, right? If someone is stressed, And they listen to this podcast. And they listen to us talking about psychedelics and hallucinogenic agents. And they think to solve all their woes, they need some mushrooms. That is not it. No, Like with all things, you need to start with the basics. How are you regulating your emotions and physical health with all the things you have available right now? Yeah. You know, are you exercising? Are you sleeping? Are you meditating? Or are you somehow you know, fostering a good mental health environment? Are you doing all of those things? And even in the studies that's looking at the use of psilocybin and all of these psychedelics, they often do it in patients who have refractory depression. So depression in which that all other medication and other treatment strategies have not worked. So it's kind of like the, you know, treatment-resistant depression or whatever. And then they've given them one group, the psilocybin And it's yeah. shown to work Yeah, You know We know right now People who have mental health conditions are, There's loads of strategies That can work Loads Biological Agents that you can give Medication uh, You know Improving their Social environment Their financial environment Physical health All these other things And it's only after all of that We look at these other External agents 100% You just need to like
0: I guess Just go into a little search For yourself And it like Go yeah. Look at Improving look more internal, <laughs> you know, yeah. instead of external with everything. I've got, before we like finish up, I've got one, I've wrote this one down, I, I, was, I need to ask you this. I was like, what's, what's your thoughts on the impact of hormone therapy on um, transgender individuals' performance in sport?
1: <laughs>
0: so like, I know it's a, it's a mad one, mm-hmm. but I actually want to understand more of like, when someone goes through that change, like the hormone therapy, how... How much is impacted and how, like, how much is actually impacted? And is it,
1: I guess, do you think it's fair? Um, I, I don't think it's my place to even question whether it's fair or not. But I will say, I mean, there is a clear ad- advantage, you know, given when there's a transgender athlete goes into, you know, the other, you know, gender category. Yeah. <clears throat> for example, you know, if they're... If have- I was to go for a change... Right now, if I was to go through like a change, if and- you were to go through a change right now, you'll still have, you know, higher than average testosterone levels for the category you go into. Okay. You'll likely have a, a different body composition with yeah. maybe more lean muscle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you sort of muscle fibers are different. Uh, you know, you've got a different proportion of muscle fibers, which might make you faster, stronger in certain ways. Yeah. Um, you might be taller. Because uh, yep. you know men, on average, are taller than women. Yeah. Um. So you know, with all these kind of things, come certain clear mm. biological, you know, advantages yep. in a sport capacity. For example, yep. where you know in most sports you do need to be stronger, faster, you know, all these sort of things. Yeah. So yeah, there is a clear advantage for someone competing in that way. You know, in modern society. Is it really fair for someone to question? I don't know. I mean yeah. that's a whole can of worms as a whole that's a whole podcast on its own. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know. It,
0: if I was to go for a change right now, not that I've got any
1: plans, <laughs> by the way, um, but what how long would the change take? Do you know? Um, so many years ago when I was a medical student, um, I did an attachment with a surgeon uh called his main his name was Mr. Bellringer. And he was a gender reassignment surgeon. Oh snap! Okay, okay. It's kind of that weird thing where someone is almost suited to their job. The name is suited to their job. Usain Bolt—he's a sprinter. (laughs) Yeah, you know. Um, And that is a weird thing where some people, you know, I think it's—it's like destiny. Yeah, yeah. whether it's a calling their name, but I don't know. Anyway, uh, that was his name. And actually, I used to work for a surgeon called uh, Doctor Death. But it was D E apostrophe A T H death. He said, but a lot of people used to see it death. Yeah. Anyway, um, so yeah, you know, like there's a whole thing you need to. There's some tests you need to do first. You need to, you know, psychological evaluation. You need to, you know, live in the other gender or the one that you want to transition into for a certain amount of time without. Yeah, as as in almost like, you know, you need to. If you want gender reassignment, you need to, you know be that Mm. but without doing any of the surgery or any of the transitioning things so like
0: mentally and being
1: yeah and that's part of the psychological evaluation because you know it's not like an easily reversible thing yeah of course you can't you know, easily transition from man to woman and then back to man. It's not very easy to do. Doesn't just happen with like
0: chopping off the piece.
1: Especially, yeah. If you have gender reassignment surgery, it becomes even harder to transition back if you have second thoughts. So there's a prolonged period of psych- psychological evaluation, etc. You need to have. That is not my area of expertise, surgically yeah. or otherwise. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, obviously, it depends on the cocktail of different hormones and everything you take. Yeah. Uh, but there is obviously a limit because. With current science, you can't implant a uterus into a man because biologically, anatomically, the male pelvis is not gynecoid. It's not wider like a female's pelvis. Yeah. Um, there's certain hormones and, you know, certain chemicals that wouldn't foster an environment in which you can grow a uterus and have a menstrual cycle as a man. So yeah. there is still with current science a limit into how much someone can transition into a woman, for example. Okay. But but there's women that can
0: transition into a man, right? I'm I'm only saying this because, like, they form the penis in a certain way or something. Am I right? Yeah,
1: you can do certain cosmetic things to form a penis, but you can't then implant a prostate. You can't implant, um, you know, the vas deferens, the spermatic tubes. You can't create sperm. You know, male gametes yeah. inside a female body. But
0: can they still have like sex and that come from it?
1: You, no orgasm you, from it. You can won't you orgasm from it. As far as my understanding, and now this may be limited because yeah. I'm not focusing yeah, this know. area. But sorry if I'm just throwing you in. A you, can't, you can't. You um, can't. You know, create a male orgasm. You, cosmetically and aesthetically, you can create sort of an artificial penis. Yeah, okay. Uh Almost, you know, grafting and all these sort of things. It's yeah. kind of part of the gender reassignment surgery, a lot of urological surgery involved yeah. as well, but you can't create that. Uh And equally, you know, you there's certain things you can do. If you're yeah. a woman with breasts, you can do a mastectomy, remove the breasts, um, you know, have testosterone treatment and other various hormones to, yeah. you know, increase muscle mass, etc. But then, there's always certain anatomical things yeah. with current signs. It's not possible.
0: Okay, all right, all right, man. That stuff fascinates me a bit. I was like, how, like, how, how? I want it's to, crazy. Right. So, like, sorry if I threw you in a deep. Who end.
1: thought about gender reassignment surgery in the first place? To think about that as a field, It's wild.
0: It it is wild, right? It yeah. is.
1: It is, and
0: that's. But you're right. That's a whole different part. Of, I might actually, if I bring someone in to talk about that stuff, I might bring you in as well. I'd be like, big man, help oh, me. Oh yeah, I'll help me that. with the language because
1: there, there's a surgeon in India. Yeah, who in Delhi I think he is he is aiming to be the first man in the world of well he's aiming to be the first surgeon in the world to implant a uterus into a man transitioning into a woman and his aim is to allow a man transition to a woman so a transgender woman to be able to give birth that's oh his aim that is and that is
0: that so change. much controversy
1: around that bruv
0: and then imagine like Oh, there's, there's a million questions there. I can't even dive into that.
1: It's, give... been, it's been attempted before, but it's resulted in horrendous outcomes.
0: Okay. People
1: have died with this kind of uterus transplant from a woman to a man. We've done uterus transplants from yeah. woman to woman. It's been done, mm. but not been done. You can't take a uterus from a woman and put it into a man. That's not been done successfully so far. And this guy is trying to do that. And let me tell you, I made a video about that. It divided the room really divided the room some of the contents were wild
0: clip that (laughs) (laughs) um that's what we got time for bruv i feel like we can talk for hours oh yeah i just want to say thank you for coming on and um not that you'd need the bloody exposure well bruv but like where can people find you because number one your content is great every time i watch your shit i learn something It's crazy fascinating and um have you got anything coming up that you want to share? Anything now's the time, brother.
1: Um, yeah, you can. You can find me, Doctor Curran, on pretty much every platform: YouTube, Insta, TikTok, um, Facebook, even. Um, I've got a secret project coming up in February. I'm going to announce it in February. It's something I've been working on for a very long time. And yeah, it's wild. It's wild.
0: He's um, he's going into hormone therapy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm retraining <laughs> as a gender reassignment surgeon.
0: He's going to be the first
1: surgeon ever. Yeah, <laughs> I am the Indian surgeon. No, no, it's not me. It's not me. It's not me. Um,
0: thank you for coming on, man. Really appreciate your time. Appreciate and um, guys, uh, make sure you subscribe to the channel. Share the clip. Share the video. If you enjoyed this, please comment below with whoever you want as a guest and I'll do my best to get them. And I'm so happy to be podcasting. Again, peace and love. Take it easy. See ya. Thanks for coming on, bro. Thank you.